Welcome all to another episode of Left Turn Canada. Andy Burkowski, Christo Avalese here to discuss the latest and greatest in leftist news affecting Canadians. It has been a pretty difficult few weeks here in Canada as we're, we're ramping up to Canada Day. It certainly doesn't feel like a time to celebrate the, the great achievements. You know, a couple weeks ago, we had the acknowledgement and discovery of 215 dead children that were essentially murdered by the Canadian government while they were in residential schools. And then last week, of course, we had the terrorist attack against a Muslim family in London. And uh, we've had great opportunities to speak to some amazing Canadians about that. But I think these last two incidents that by no means are just isolated and, you know, we should just get over them. I, I think they are helping lift the veil a little bit for segments of the population that believe that, you know, this isn't Canada, we're, we're so much better than this. I do think this is having, you know, a bit of an impact just because it's hitting again and again and again. We're, we're not really having a reprieve from the realities of, uh, you know, what it's like for certain populations of people here in Canada. Uh, you know, Christo, how are you feeling, man? These last couple of weeks have been uh, a real tough one. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it definitely exposes Canada, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, both to the world, but also to ourselves, right? Like, uh, Canada, you know, Canada's not unambiguous, you know, uh, you know, totally 100% irredeemably bad at all times, of course. But, like, it definitely gets a better reputation than it deserves, especially when it comes to things like uh, being inclusive, being welcoming, being diverse, being tolerant. And what we see is that, is that there are real limitations to that, that those things are used as a kind of image for Canada. But when it comes time to actually, you know, make the difficult to decisions to reallocate resources, to actually make an affirmative case that certain communities deserve to have dignity and safety, and that's going to cost money or offend some kind of political interest group, uh, you know, within the white majority, then then the decision often either doesn't get made or gets made against those uh, smaller populations, those minority populations. So we see it. We see it. And we're going to talk about all of this today. But, you know, the liberals will, again, swear up and down that they believe in reconciliation, swear up and down that they believe in justice for indigenous people. But when push comes to shove, when the money needs to be there, when the you know political capital needs to be spent, they won't spend it. Right. You know, like earlier, we're going to be talking about Mumi Lakakak today um, and, and her absolute bravery and one of the, be- the best parliamentary speeches we've ever heard. Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking a lot about that. But like, you know, she noted uh, just like today, like she said, like, the you know, all she wanted and she was working with Daniel Blakey, another NDP MP to put indigenous languages on the ballot and the liberals voted against it. And Nikki Ashton, friend of the show, you know, she uh, asked for a motion to put an independent commission to establish resources and standards and oversight in uh, indigenous records uh, from the residential schools. Mm-hmm. That a lot of these records will help us understand the true scope of what's happening and that we need those. 
And these were both not supported by the liberals. And so she said, another day, another example of the liberals saying no to real action for indigenous people. So whether it's, you know, money for schools, money for healthcare, whether it's justice for indigenous kids past and present and future, the liberals do not give a damn if it, they have to spend political capital on it. Yeah, and it's or or real money or real mm-hmm. capital on it. It's even more dire, I think, than um, we're expressing here, because in the last few weeks we've explained and, and had uh, members of the indigenous community explain as well how there is an active genocide that's being perpetrated. So these uh, actions that are being pushed by uh, Mumiluk are trying to fight against this active genocide like the the power that it would be that we would have to have indigenous languages on the ballot you know the to have uh, residential schools that have independent searches would be something that would at least show what we're saying here that it isn't just window dressing that it isn't just you know for face value that we can fight against an active genocide but they again the liberal party and i think maybe even a white majority are not afraid of the repercussions of saying no. There doesn't seem to be that fear. You know, you you spoke about it earlier, the speech that we heard this week that was devastating and I I think really eviscerated the idea that certain uh, progressives have about what Canada is was followed by Justin Trudeau this week acting like a complete fucking clown. Like an like supervillain. Act- yeah. It was supervillain shit. It's yeah, like weird, it was- man. Like it, it's like- it's like he's losing his mind and he's finally understanding he can have some more mask off moments. And when you juxtapose like we play that, that cl- we're going to play right that now. Clip, let's right? let's yeah. do it yeah. right now. But one thing, though, you, you, we're going to play the clip, but you got to also fi- uh, maybe we could put a link to it in the show notes. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. You got to see the eyes on this on this fucking ghoul at a time where the G7 is more united than ever before, more focused on the responsibility we wield collectively as some of the world's leading economies, not just to our own citizens, but to citizens around the world. During a time of dueling crises of the pandemic and climate change, the impacts of this G7 will be felt long after the newspapers you write for will have been used to wrap fish. Maybe I won't do the newspapers and fish thing. I might get in trouble for that because we respect the freedom of the press and the independence and the work uh, that you all do in a very important way. So who does he really think he is? Like, this is insane. Yeah. This is insane shit. The, this, uh, the clip that we just played, of course, was this yeah. week during the G7 when he's talking to uh, different reporters and he's supposed to represent, you know, the most powerful leaders of the planet coming together to save it. And he's glib and weird. And even today, he, he voted in the House of Commons, and then for some reason did a huge smile, showed his teeth, and wouldn't break his gaze into the camera. That link's going to be below as well, because it's just, it is weird supervillain shit. It's like he doesn't know that in the last two weeks, we've had a terrorist attack and have uncovered even more remnants of Canada's greatest shame. Like, it's so strange. Do you have any idea what the fuck is happening with Justin Trudeau? No, no, I don't. I mean, look, I, I don't know if like the pressure is getting to him or yeah. if he thought he was being funny and then mm-hmm. realized he wasn't. And they asked him, of course, in that clip to, you know, repeat himself in French. 
um, which he's off, he often does, of course, because he's speaking to both both their end in, in, in Canada to a bilingual media. Um, and he doesn't say it in French either because he doesn't want to piss off Quebec. So often politicians will say different things in different languages mm. in Canada. That's not just Trudeau. That's that's all all federal politicians. But um, he doesn't say it. And I think it's a mixture of not wanting to anger Quebec, but also realizing that what he said was just really fucking stupid. Yeah. And it makes him look like he had like he hates uh, like he hates the media and has this derision for like mm. the newspaper industry or whatever. How dare they weird. question yeah. me? You know, it's that yeah, look. Yeah. His eyes widened and there yeah, was he does like this little head bop like yeah. I got you. And like every he was waiting for everyone in the room to just applaud his bravery or something. Mm-hmm. It, it was yeah, it was it was it was bonkers, right? So no, it really does show this. But he's like, you know, even like 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 Mumilak, she she notes here that like, like she talked about this, and I think I I shared this with you in our in mm. our in our group chat. But she said like when she gave her speech, she said a few days ago I spoke how nice words hurt when they are uttered by those in power who refuse to make change. That might be one of the things we talk about later. But you know that whole narrative is like look, nice words matter, words matter. Like I'm not one of these people that don't think words matter. I think rhetoric can either be helpful or 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 harmful. Um, and that, you know, that matters. But she says Ruby Sahota, who is a liberal MP from Brampton North, uh, she said nice words about her speech, but then she and the other parties team to keep languages off the ballot, to keep indigenous language off the ballot. So again, there's like a real time example. Mumilak gives this brave speech, which shows the past, present, and, and likely unless we really make change future colonialism of Canadian politics on indigenous people. She's speaking specifically of the, the Inuit community. Um, and then basically the liberals are all like, so brave, so brave. Mm -hmm. Right. And then they're like, yeah, but like, fuck you. And the one thing you want to do before, like you, you leave parliament. Right. No, it's, it's, it's so so insulting. Go ahead. She's like, did she even hear me? And like, and, and the answer is one, it's probably a bit of both. The liberals are slimy fucks, Mm -hmm. but I really do think that especially in like the Trudeau era, like they're less, they're, they're, they're slimy, but I, I honestly think they believe they're the good guys. Yeah. Like I, I think like the Chrétien era liberals like knew that they were just gutting and slashing (laughs) and like, but like this, like, like I really think Justin Trudeau and his, and his team, they think they're the good guys. Mm -hmm. Like when they went to the climate marches, they really didn't think that they were the ones being protested. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like when they, like when Trudeau like kneeled at the black lives matter thing, he thought like he was like the good guy when he was silent and he thought like, what what did that mean? You know, this, I'm really making a stand here because I'm not saying anything, not realizing that you are responsible for the deaths of black and brown people in your country. If you're not taking care and like facilitating uh, white supremacy in the same ways, like, I think you're right. Like there at least other ghoulish figures like Aaron O'Toole and, you know, most of the conservative apparatus seem to be aware of their means and their masters. But for some reason, the Trudeau liberals and those who follow him believe that they are doing enough simply by indicating that they know the right words. And you spoke to it really well there. Like, we're not going to be the leftists to say these words don't matter. Like, clearly they do. They matter a lot. And they matter a lot between, you know, uh, colleagues, people who are, are together in solidarity, recognizing each other's plight. 
I think this speech that we're going to play, I think in its entirety, because it is such a powerful moment, really illustrated how weak and unnecessary these words are by the powers that be unless they're followed by action. If they're not followed by action, then you're tokenizing entire peoples and their purposes so that you can look a little better, so that Trudeau and his cohort can look like they're doing something. And like that was enough for people, I feel like, for a long time. But this pandemic, as we've always said, is starting to put a highlight on what we need going forward. It's no longer good enough to just look like you're saying the right things and doing nothing if you have power. You have to act on this or you're, the damage you will do is exponentially worse than it was five, ten years ago because of how heightened our material circumstances are, because of the the realities that we're facing with this global pandemic and, you know, just front-facing looking at the uh, prejudices that are ruining most of North America. Unless something happens by these people, nothing is going to change. And, yeah, I, I do think this speech brilliantly captures how meaningless and damaging, I would say, these words can be by the people in power when it isn't followed by action. So, uh, yeah, if you don't have anything else to add, Christo, I think we should uh, maybe play the whole thing and just let our listeners really appreciate the brilliant words of this young woman that is representing a, a her people that are hurting, I think you could argue, maybe more than any other constituency in Canada right now that is really dealing with traumas that you and I don't have in our communities in the same sort of way. And she's not getting supported. And that's the most horrific thing you could imagine, like as a, as a politician. So sorry. Yeah. Is anything else or should we, should we go into it? Uh, I mean, look, I just, this, it's such a, it's that speech was so good. Right. Mm -hmm. And, I don't know, like, I, I, I want to believe like it's, yeah, I want to believe it's gonna, it's gonna change things, but I I just, I don't know, man. Like, I think, I think it moved a lot of people, but I just don't know if this government, you know, they see the polls and the liberals are like, well, it's working for us, right? Like they're generally polling well, Mm -hmm. the conservatives in particular are polling very poorly. And and it means that the liberals could win a majority with with not a whole lot more votes than they got last time uh, if the conservatives fall back because it opens up more seats for them in eastern Canada and maybe even a few more out west. Um, And, you know, the NDP might make gains and and, and whatnot, but the liberals could end up with a majority and then they'll basically say to themselves, well, Canadians liked what we did. And so they think the pretty words are are enough and Mm -hmm. Canadians don't want more than that. And I don't know. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And there is that. But I I do think that, you know, just for a moment, as much as it is difficult to to see if this will change something like this woman was able to say this and speak this in the House of Commons. Right. She was able to express what is happening to her people and how the government is failing. And that is something that I think we should celebrate, even for a brief moment, just to know that it happened, you know, that, that that someone had the strength of their convictions to stare down like the machine of capital and Justin Trudeau leading the helm 
and say like, no, you're destroying this country and you're, you've made it impossible for me and my people. So if we're ready now, folks, please uh, tuck in and, uh, and listen to the words of this MP. Every time I walk onto House of Common Grounds, speak in these chambers, I'm reminded every step of the way I don't belong here. I have never felt safe or protected in my position, especially within the House of Commons. Often having pep talks with myself in the elevator or taking a moment in the bathroom stall to maintain my composure. When I walk through these doors, not only am I reminded of the clear colonial house on fire I am willingly walking into, I am already in survival mode. Since being elected, I expect to be stopped by security at my workplace. I've had security jog after me down hallways, nearly put their hands on me and racial profile me as a member of parliament. I know what to do in these situations. My life in Canada, and especially through this experience, has taught me many things. As a brown woman, do not move too quickly or suddenly. Do not raise your voice. Do not make a scene, maintain eye contact, and don't hide your hands. Every Inuk has survival mode. We have to. No, not two generations ago, survival mode meant endurance of extreme temperatures and finding food throughout the winter. Now survival mode means being able to see that warmth in shelter and affordability in livelihood but being denied it at the hands of the federal government. The federal institution needs to change its own policies and procedures to reflect, reflect reality instead of creating barriers for people like me. I shouldn't be afraid of going into work. No one should be afraid of going into work. It is possible to create change. It can be started here in the House of Commons and reflected in Canada. There is a refusal and unwillingness for change, not an, an inability to accomplish it. People don't like me don't belong here in the federal institution. I'm a human being who wants to use this institution to help people, but the reality is that this institution and the country has been created off the backs, trauma and displacement of indigenous people. Even if we're told we should run, we still face huge barriers. Young people have been told they are not experienced enough, not ready to lead. Women have been told to sit pretty and listen. Disabled individuals have been shown they aren't even worth the conversations and Inuit kill themselves at the highest rate in the country. We are facing a suicide epidemic and this institution refuses to care. During my time in this chamber, I have heard so many pretty words like reconciliation, diversity, and inclusion. I have been called courageous, brave, and strong by people outside of my party. But let me be honest, brutally honest, nice words with no action hurt when they are uttered by those with power over the federal institution and refuse to take action. There is nothing, nothing to take pride in, in the legacy this institution continues to not only maintain, but to build and fuel. 
people in power have choices and they consistently choose priorities that uphold systems of oppression, leaving babies sick in moldy homes, parents missing their past on children because these powerful individuals don't think change is worth the money. Recently, I asked a minister what he would do in my shoes. If his writing had the highest rates of suicide with the homes, most homes in need of repair, if women and girls were going missing in his community and children were taken being into the foster care system without regard for their well-being, how would he feel? I asked if the minister would change his answer if I told him to keep waiting. And he couldn't answer me. He said he would never even try to place himself in my shoes. But that's exactly what the problem is. Inuit have been telling those with power and ability to make change to try and survive in their shoes for one day, one week, one month. They couldn't. Maybe it is impossible for ministers to understand what we go through every day, but I am urging you, telling you to listen, believe us, and do something about it. When we tell you to act now, you need to act now. And if you understand, then shame on you. Because if you understand how much this hurts, you understand how deep it cuts. It would be easier for me to be told that I am wrong and that you disagree than to be told I am right and I'm courageous, but there is no room in your budget for basic, basic human rights that so many others take for granted. You see, Mr. Speaker, I don't belong here, but my presence, I hope, is starting to crack the foundations of this very federal institution that started colonizing Inuit barely 70 years ago. I realize that this is difficult for some members to hear, but it's the reality and the truth. This place was built on the oppression of Indigenous peoples. People like my grandfather who were born and raised on the land but forcibly relocated into settlement that was financed and built by the federal institution. Our history is stained with blood, children, youth, adults, and elders' blood. It's time to face the scale of justice. On one side, we have a mountain of suffering, and whenever the government gives us a grain of sand of support, they seem to think the trauma from our past has been rectified, that somehow they deserve a pat on the back. But it will take a mountain of support to even begin the healing process. As long as these halls echo with empty promises instead of real action, I will not belong here. Although I may not belong in this institution, I do belong in my party. The NDP has always been a party committed to uplifting voices of all those of all different backgrounds, often ignored by the federal institution. I'd like to thank my leader, the member for Burnaby South, for listening to me and making me feel safe and comfortable to voice what I need to. While members from other parties have come to me asking me to advocate for an issue their party's focus to touch, I never felt muzzled by the NDP. 
I could never join another party and I am a proud new Democrat. Thank you to my colleagues. Thank you to members from uh, Westminster Burnaby, Northwell Island, sorry, North Island Powell River and especially Hamilton Center for always having my back. Without my NDB colleagues, I wouldn't have such a great platform that is true in the want to do more, to do better, and to do right. I'd also like to thank, of course, my number one supports, my mother and father, Pia and Jimmy, and my brother Lars for everything from day one. A huge, huge shout out to my staff. I could not have survived without you guys. All the things that come out of my office, everything I'm so proud of, I know I couldn't have done it with you. I'm so grateful for you. Of course, ultimately, thank you from the bottom of my heart to Inuit and Nunavut who believe in me and support me. The encouraging messages have meant more to than people will ever know. I'd like to thank Bautatik for always standing up for Inuit women and girls like me and speaking truth to power, even when it's inconvenient. I will always fight for human rights of indigenous peoples in Nunavut and across the country. I believe that we are living through a shift in this country where Canadians are starting to wake up to the reality. I'm looking forward to a time where people like me could belong here, a time we can be here I hope another young or Inuk or woman or all three will follow in my footsteps and continue pushing this institution to support Indigenous peoples in Canada. I have shown the nation and the world that impossible is possible, that hope can grow where it's purposely put out and that if we work together and use our voices, we can influence real change. I will always believe politics can look, feel and be different. It can, it has, it started. We will keep it going. We must all ensure it does. So it's hard not to feel a little down at the words that we just heard. To know that someone is trying so hard to help the people that she was uh, voted in to represent and is being told no again and again and again. To not feel safe in the halls of power that you were sent to to represent your people is a failing for every Canadian and is a huge black eye to add to the 57 to Justin Trudeau and his ruling party and you you mentioned this before we we played the interview it's hard to see if this will move the needle is all like the polling shows as you said that it's it's likely if everything is going the way it is we could see Trudeau with a majority improving his position and the conservatives you kind of losing theirs and to consider what has happened in this last year and what's happening right now with this insane dauphin that we're getting like i don't like to use that that language that the conservatives did but justin trudeau is losing his fucking mind like did he think because he never because he got away with the blackface scandal like was there maybe like a teflon feeling to him now that there's nothing that can change yeah. it because it's just I mean I think Go there ahead. was a sense he was done right yeah there was a sense that like he won the election but maybe he wouldn't even run again mm-hmm. but like it, it really does seem like he's the scandals didn't stick SNC Lavalin didn't mm-hmm. really stick I mean it did hurt him these scandals maybe prevented him from winning a majority last time 
but they're not sticking beyond. I mean, they're not polling exceptionally well, right? A lot of polls, if you look at a lot of the polling averages, they're not too far ahead of where they were in the um, in the last election. Like the most recent polling averages have them at about 35, 36, mm -hmm. but the conservatives down at about 30, 31. And that's really the gap there, right? Mm -hmm. You know, that's the gap. Now the NDP has improved. The NDP is at about 18, 19% right now, which is a couple points higher than they were at the end of the last election and significantly higher than they were going into the previous election where they were polling often in the low teens mm -hmm. in some of the polls. When you look at this, what it likely leads to is the liberals right now, according to this projection, which is actually a little bit lower, would improve their standing. They're not necessarily at a majority yet, but they're clearly close. Yeah. Uh, the projection would be 163 for the liberals. One, this is according to 338.canada.com, uh, 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 Philip Fournier. Um, 114 for the conservative, 31 for the NDP, 32 for the NDP, 26 for the bloc, two for the greens. We're going to talk about that dumpster fire later Yeah, and likely one independent. Uh, that's probably Jody Wilson Rabel probably. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but that's not a guarantee either. And so that's kind of what we're looking at here right now. And so the liberals are thinking to themselves, okay, right now things are going okay. And it's just indigenous voters matter. Indigenous issues matter. There are a lot of ridings where indigenous votes uh, make up, if not a majority, then enough to be the the difference maker. Um, but right now, it this 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 government has shown what it is. I mean, it will use the imagery of reconciliation, uh, but it will not put those policies forward. It, it will mm -hmm. not. Uh, it, it, it's, it's not going to stop fighting indigenous kids in court. It's not going to meaningfully uh, address the fact that genocide happened in this country and is still happening. And as Mumila Kakak, even some symbolism, they just seemingly like they won't put indigenous, uh, languages on the ballot, even though in some places they are considered official languages. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so it, it's a basic demand that indigenous languages be treated, uh, you know, on our, our most sacred document in some ways is our ballot. Mm -hmm. that, that they be included and they're not right now. It's a simple thing. I can't imagine the cost would be more than, you know, a few thousand dollars. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and the liberals are like, no, we're not going to do it. And I guess this is proving to them that they don't have to like Trudeau, whether the storm of blackface, the scandals that followed him. And right now it's happening again. We went through this pandemic and there's a lot of evidence that we would not have been in the shape we are now for many Canadians if it wasn't for the pushes of the NDP. Personally, my family, if we didn't have the extended CERB allocation that was really pushed by Jagmeet, we, I would not be okay. I probably wouldn't be able to be doing this podcast right now because we would have had to find different jobs. Like it just, it's amazing how the insecurity changes everything in your life. But even with all that, what we're seeing is that Trudeau is perhaps improving his position so does this just show that he you know doesn't have to really address it's okay if he does window dressing no matter how bad these scandals are because that's all he's still winning you know he he is still winning and I'm wondering now and it's you know a billion dollar question here but what would be this turning point like what can happen that would make you know white $150,000 a year liberals actually believe that Trudeau and the Liberal Party 
is damaged goods and they're no longer representing their values. Like, are we now just, is it, are we so mask off in this country that now we just recognize that if you have a party that represents your economic interests and at least says all the right things that you personally believe are really important, that are signifiers that are important, but as long as they say all the right things, but primarily uh, push your own economic interests, that's all that matters. Like, I, I really don't know how we change that into recognizing, I think, I think we can say as the NDP has some issues, but they are more aligned with recognizing the economic interests of more Canadians that could be improved by it. And like, if we're just going by those simple facts, I, I don't know how we um, shake it up so that those sorts of people that need to see the, the change that this is not going to help us moving forward, see it. Cause I, I don't know. It does feel depressing because I'm worried we're just going to be stuck with Trudeau's and of that like until we see a backlash to the more barbaric Aaron O'Toole's or the the guy that comes worse after him <laughs> pushing the same I mean, sort of thing like I just that's I don't historically what's happened in yeah, a lot of ways right like, where's you know, the like, path to socialism honestly like, like, where's the path to leftism yeah, here since World War Two you've generally seen that pattern or really since like since the the end of World War One where the well, liberals would govern most of the time. Uh, and then you'd have a brief, relatively brief conservative run, mm -hmm. you know, and then uh, you would be back to a kind of liberal regime. Sometimes they'd be more traditional right wing neoliberals and sometimes they would be more somewhat moderate. Uh, you know, Trudeau is probably less in that Chrétien mold. And, but, you know, but but you, you see that Canadians, I think, one, there's a lot of inertia in politics Two, I think strategic voting is, is playing a big role mm -hmm. and Canadians uh, do strategically vote. I uh, it's one of the factors you have to consider in a first past the post system mm -hmm. because votes are not redistributed and there's not even a ranked ballot, but votes are not redistributed in any way. Uh, and so hypothetically, votes can, quote unquote, be wasted. Uh, both in terms of voting for a party that doesn't win, but even in some ridings, you know, if, if you're in a rural conservative riding, your vote's likely going to be a wasted one, mm -hmm. even if you vote conservative, because, like, there's all these extra votes that, that they didn't need to win, right? Um, and so the liberals, I think, are definitely in a position where they sort of know that, one, a lot of Canadians, enough of them, are, vi are, are at least happy. As you know, maybe it's a, a mixture of middle class to uh, moderately wealthy Canadians that are doing, are doing fine. Maybe they're not doing fantastically. Maybe they do have concerns about the future, but they're doing okay. Uh, and they have a progressive mindset, at least on non-economic issues. Um, and this government has done well by them. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're saying the right things. And so they have that support. And there's a general fear... And not without some reason, because we've seen how awful the Conservative Party is, mm -hmm. that the Conservative Party can't win. And so the Liberals are the people to stop the Conservatives. Ergo, we're just going to keep voting for Justin Trudeau. Now, there are factors here which could be different this time. One, the NDP is polling better than they were last time. Mm -hmm. uh, two, the longer a party is in power, this is ironclad, generally... Uh, they, they tend to, to do worse. Not every election in a neat little line. For example, Pierre Trudeau uh, won a majority his first time, then a minority, and then went back to majority. Mm. Uh, that can't happen. But, you know, over time, scandals build up and people get less and less willing to forgive a government. But I think that uh, maybe maybe a factor this time is 
uh, the conservatives being uh, polling so poorly that strategic voting is not as much of a mindset. But I think that in our experience, uh, in my experience as as somebody who's done political activism on the ground, is that a lot of Canadians uh, just strategically vote out of impulse. Yeah. And even if it's, pardon my language, dumb as fuck, right? Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, in 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 my community, Kingston, whether it's federal or provincial, this is not a riding where the conservatives have been viable in a long time, mm-hmm. right? And yet you, and, and in the recent provincial election, we actually did win through the NDP, but you do have people, including in the areas of town where I live, which house, you know, it, Kingston is the quote unquote, the most educated city. And I live near the university, likely the most educated neighborhoods in the country. And these people are like, I'm voting liberal to stop the conservatives <laughs> in a riding where it's clearly going to be an NDP uh, liberal swing. Yeah. Right. And so I, I think a lot of people are just they're fine with it. Right. And yeah. like, you know, maybe like, you know, you're you're OK with it. The liberals gave you the child benefit. That's a good policy, like credit where credit's due. But like, you know, you have the child benefit. You're, you're doing you're doing OK. Uh, one thing that could hurt Trudeau, but could also help him is that, you know, if there's another wave that could hurt him, mm-hmm. but, you know, vaccination rates are improving. And so not just for Trudeau, but frankly, even for some of the the other crappy governments, most of them conservative, you know, you could see them benefit from the timing. You know, Justin Trudeau could benefit from a fall election where Canadians feel optimistic because they've all been vaccinated and many people are starting to go back to work. Yeah. Uh, and Ford, especially given that he's not, for example, not running until 2022, um, might get bailed out by the fact that, again, most people will be vaccinated and um, maybe the economy's in a better place and people are enough people are willing to give him a shot. So, like, I don't know what the what the solution is, mm-hmm. but right now, I, I mean, I think the, the NDP is, is polling better than they have in a long time. Um, they are raising more money than they generally have. But I think that. Uh, Canadians are just sort of locked into uh, Justin Trudeau is the guy that stops us from having a conservative government. Uh, And Mm -hmm. that allows Justin Trudeau to effectively hold the Canadian people hostage. Yeah. I've made YouTube videos about that. Like Trudeau basically holds, he knows the virtue of the system is it keeps progressive voters hostage to him. And now he's losing his mind. And now he's like drunk off that power. Something's not working right like you we shouldn't look into a leader's eyes and get that look that i think everyone knows when someone is you know about to do something unhinged like watch that video again of him talking about the reporters uh putting their papers around you know salted fish of where they're relegated to there is something not right with this man and if he is in the position that you're illustrating here like that that doesn't bode well because what will happen next we we saw with the speech i uh, that we listened to today that this mp is now based on my understanding not seeking re-election this was essentially you know her her farewell to uh there's still obviously going to be a, a great fixture representing her community but isn't going through this again And as we have a government that is just acting like they're doing things while doing nothing, all that is going to do 
is put more pressure on the real members of parliament and uh, members of government throughout the country on every level that are trying to do something that don't have the luxury of laughing and smiling into a camera because they're in the position of power that they have to make change because that is why they were elected because their community is bleeding. Like in the um, inter- in the speech that we just played, she speaks to what would happen if other districts in Canada had the highest suicide rates that were yeah. you know not in yeah. the north and what what outrage there would be and what what great changes would happen there wouldn't be people and i think she's right to say just saying you know you're brave and strong they would be saying we need to end this now this is a national crisis and that's not happening and there's many reasons why traditional racism is there but i i really do believe that justin trudeau being who he is and and what he represents is uniquely making it even worse for these uh, communities that are in peril because he can act and look like he really cares. And unfortunately, for a lot of Canadians that you know don't have the bandwidth necessarily to really be in touch with all of these issues, like it's difficult. I think it it takes a lot to be aware of all of the goings on in Canada when you are struggling in any sort of way. Like I I have trouble with that's why I need Christo to explain this all to me because I'm having difficulty just just following it. So for regular Canadians like that, that maybe aren't getting all of the minutia of what's happening here, I think that Justin Trudeau is serving them exactly that comfort without really causing these people to, regular Canadians to analyze you know why this is happening you know what why is he so comfortable to do this why do we always have conservative and liberal are they just the best ones is that is that why it is or or like maybe there's a greater intention here maybe they are serving kind of the same master uh i wanted to ask you this krista this idea that i've heard a lot when when discussing canadian politics and just you know the the different um, freedoms and uh, rights that we've gotten here in this country. Is it a situation that if we just get it, if we just, if Jagmeet just becomes prime minister or, or the representative after him, then eventually once that's happens, there's a possibility that all arithmetic after that just kind of changes for Canadians because we've proven that no, it can happen. We can have an NDP uh, prime Minister, or is that just, you know, maybe my simple looking at it? I'd, I'd really love to know what you think. Well, a couple of things. One, uh, Mumilak's claim that, like, if this was happening in a, 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 a riding that was not particularly, you know, an Indigenous majority uh, or Indigenous plurality area, that it mm-hmm. wasn't happening, that, that, you know, people would care more. She's 100% right. It's a mixture of just out-and-out racism. Also, the, the, the isolation of Nunavut in particular. Very mm-hmm. few Canadians have ever visited Nunavut. It's not easy to get in and out of Nunavut. All of that, of course, allows people to uh, literally and figuratively, like, not see it, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, Singh said something very similar uh, going back to the last election where, you know, it's like, you know, if there was uh, systemic water issues in downtown Toronto, we would not be asking how much it costs to fix it. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? But but we do seem to ask how much it costs to fix water issues when it's on indigenous reserves and in other isolated communities. Um, 
in terms of the the history of politics is that when the NDP does find success, it does have the potential um, for things to transform. Mm -hmm. So it's not always a guarantee, though. Often what happens is that if the NDP can string together multiple victories, it generally leads to a realignment. And so not just one. So, for instance, there wasn't necessarily a realignment in Ontario and Nova Scotia. Ontario, of course, the the Ontario NDP won in 1990 or so, governed for a five-year majority, and then were quickly booted back to third place. Been in third place for most of the time since until recently when Horwath won. But Ontario has still a, a, you know, a a center-right to centrist liberal party and a center-right to right-wing progressive conservative party. Um, that and that's that's the way it is, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Nova Scotia quite similar in a lot of ways. They had lots of liberal and conservative governments throughout history, and then around in the early 2010s, I believe it was around that point, the ND or or maybe 20 not 2009 maybe, uh, the NDP formed a majority government in Nova Scotia. Again, quickly that 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 government fell, and they have been returned to third place. Uh, and so in both of those provinces, there was an NDP government. Uh, won a majority government, uh, but the the order reestablished itself. In the western provinces, you've seen different things where, you know, Alberta NDP, I think because they were the only non-conservative party to ever win since uh, the United Farmers of Alberta back in like the 1930s, basically, 1920s, mm-hmm. um, they uh, have quickly established themselves as the non-conservative option. That Alberta has transformed. It used to basically be two conservative parties. And now it's uh, the NDP versus the conservatives, right? Yeah. And and so in, in Alberta, you saw that. But in, in Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and BC, what you've seen is that those provinces have um, had multiple CCF NDP governments. And what generally happens is you see an either soft or hard alliance of the non-NDP options. In mm. BC, it's basically what the BC liberals are. Right. That's what they yeah. that they that's what they form. There is technically a conservative party in B.C., but it basically doesn't exist come election time. Most of their voters, the vast majority of them end up voting for the B.C. liberals. They call it the free enterprise coalition. It's existed <laughs> in some form or another under various parties, um, basically since the rise of the CCF NDP. Um, and that's what it is. In Saskatchewan, you see the same thing with the Sask party. There is technically a liberal party, but it's sort of formed out of the the remnants of the old PCs and liberals in Saskatchewan. In Manitoba, there is a Manitoba Liberal Party. They do have a few seats, but in general, it's the same thing. You have the NDP, which back in the 70s basically replaced the liberals as one of the two major parties and have kind of been there ever since for the most part, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if Jugmeet was to form a government um, and, and it was able to follow that up with another victory then you might see an alignment. You would either, most likely would be at the expense of the liberals, just given the realities of the vote. The yep. liberals would either disappear. They may, uh, and probably some liberals would fall into the NDP camp. Some liberals would fall into the conservative camp. Um, you might see the liberals become a more hyper-regionalized party. You might see them, for instance, become only competitive in places like Montreal mm. in certain areas of the country, and the NDP would sort of become the national center-left alternative and to the conservatives. That, that, that could happen as well. Uh, sort of like the Lib Dems 
in Britain. Yeah, yeah, where yeah. Labor, Labor's rise sort of displaced liberal parties in many of those countries. Labor becoming one of the two big parties in countries like Australia and New Zealand, uh, as opposed to a more traditional, a like, Tory party, right? Mm -hmm. um, but in some countries, the Lib Dems have survived uh, and, and retain a certain base, be it regional or class-based or, or, what, or what have you, that allow them to survive. And so that could be an example. Um, right now, of course, the most likely alternative is that the status quo maintains, right? Even yeah. if Jagmeet was to form a government, it would likely be a minority government. There's no guarantee that it would, that it would last very long, all of those sorts of things. But um, yeah, it would, take a, it would take a big victory for the NDP uh, and likely multiple victories before you see a realignment. There need to be two, I think. I, yeah. I think. It does... Or just an utter, utter collapse of the yeah. liberals. Like, we're talking not even 2011. We're talking about them literally going down to two or three seats wow. in the whole country. Like, because otherwise, there's still... Like, we saw even the Ontario liberals. Yeah, same uh, sort of I'm not. I'm not one of these people that think that, you know, the Ontario liberals are guaranteed a victory in 2022, but... You know, they they took a real walloping and do have a chance at winning again, and then the yeah. the order would be restored. Whereas a, an NDP victory might actually change things because the NDP wouldn't have governed twice in a row, but they would have beaten the Liberals badly in two consecutive elections, mm. and that might cause a realignment. So it, it really does seem, from what you're illustrating here, that there is a realignment on like capital lines like it really is bosses and workers that as soon as there is a party in Canada or even around the world that comes into power that seems to represent the ideals of a class of people that have been beaten down by the status quo for so long the principles of those who would like never be conservative or never be liberal beforehand seem to go out the window because now there's an actual threat so you know I it does seem like the only way we get the type of governance that then you and I perhaps would want here in Canada is if the situation that it is that we're in so far, like the, the material circumstances that we're in continues to get worse and worse. Cause I, I do think that unless there is a change in the ways in which we live, how precarious things are as it is getting worse and worse every year, that it's very unlikely that we're going to see a shift and a change based on, you know, this historical precedent that you're presenting here. Like, I, I do wonder if that's going to be what it takes so that it's we're not always just by those lines of, you know, uh, owners and workers, but maybe yeah. some kind of solidarity because we're all, you know, I think it is getting worse and worse for more people. But it it seems like the people that it's getting better for, especially in the United States, is a great example, are still controlling the conversation in in really strong ways. And I, I had thought, and I think for a lot of younger listeners, there might have been a belief that the Green Party in Canada could have represented that kind of change, that it could have been, you know, a one a one issue, perhaps not a one issue uh, party, but a party that represented very strong ideals and was not going to uh, succumb to this uh, delineation that you're talking about here, this, this possible back and forth. We talked about it last week, Christo, it seems like things are really not looking good for the Green Party of Canada. No, certainly not. So basically what happened was, uh, you know, they had a uh, bad statement on Israel-Palestine, just a truly horrendous one, yeah. really, 
um, you know, just basically both sides in the issue. Uh, one of their MPs, Jenica Atwin, who is the, was a Green MP from Fredericton, this is a, the capital of New Brunswick, university town, uh, has some Green representation at the provincial level as well. Uh, you know, she came out and said, I don't agree with this statement. I stand with Palestine and the people of, of Palestine. Uh, and uh, as a result, a uh, uh, staffer for the uh, leader, Enemy Paul, basically said that she was going to he was going to work to defeat Jagmeet Singh, the NDP uh, and, and some green MPs that were not ardently Zionist. Uh, and was never fired, and then was sort of fired, but was still yeah. working as a volunteer. Jenica Atwin quit the Green Party to join the Liberals, citing the Palestine issue as a reason. Now, to be clear, I don't know if we've talked about it since, but shortly after that, uh, she joined the Liberals. She basically backed off and gave a really crappy both sides statement herself, almost like the Liberals forced her to do it. Yeah, so weird. I'm not necessarily going to lionize Atwin <laughs> as a crusader for Palestinian rights. Mm -hmm. But clearly the party mishandled that. And even if you think Atwin is a bit of a scumbag for 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 leaning back on her position, like the fact is like the party, her own party had a staffer in the leader's office pledging to defeat her. So it's reasonable <laughs> that she left the party. Yeah. Uh, and all of this led to, uh, uh, you know, uh, a call for her to basically come out and apologize or face a uh, expulsion of, of, of the leadership from the National Council. Uh, and, and this is all. Yeah, it's all looking horrible. Um She's also trying to suggest that, you know, they're, they're being attacked because they are strong. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, it's just it's coming <laughs> off as really desperate. She's also attacking Christia Freeland, basically calling her a pawn of Justin Trudeau. And whether or not we're fans of Christia Freeland, we are yeah. not. She's a monster, uh, yeah. maybe even more evil than Justin Trudeau and would be more effectively evil than Justin Trudeau. The fact yeah. is, read up about her grandfather. Really, yeah. If you have. Yeah, yeah. Yet. It comes like, off looking yeah. really bad. Uh, and so, yeah, it's it's been a really bad week, two weeks for the Green Party. Um, and I don't see how they recover from it. Like, mm. Atwin's not coming back. Yeah. Um, that riding is gone now because they barely won it last time. It was a very tight riding. Um, they're not going to win it this time. Atwin's almost certainly going to win. She's going to keep a lot of that Green support locally because a lot of Greens are going to think that she left not out of betrayal, but maybe out of, of 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 sort of being forced out by the the actions of the leader's office, right? Yeah, uh, and, and that's partially true, at least, right? Yeah, it's opportunistic, one hundred percent from Atwin. She's doing it because mm -hmm. she thinks it improves her chances, one hundred percent. But like, it's it's not like she left uh, for no reason. Yeah, uh, so... and so yeah, the greens are the greens are in, are in massive trouble, and I don't know how they dig themselves out of it. They can't get a new leader right now, really, because the election is so close, right? Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know what they do. And I wonder if, you know, the vote, the leadership vote had gone a different way, you know, back back when, if we'd be in the situation we are now. Like, is it just that it's uniquely, there's a unique, I don't know, ineffectualness with the current leader? Or is this you know, just maybe opportunistic individuals seeing the way the wind blows and, you know, wanting a career in uh, politics that surpasses what the Green Party can offer. Like, I don't know if you have any insights on that. Um, I, I think that if, if Lascaris won, it would have been better in a lot of ways, right? I think he's uh, a more engaging leader. I think that he has a clearer set of what he believes in. It's like Annamie Paul, I'm not even sure what she believes in. It's not just that we have different visions. 
and I happen to disagree with her. It's just that she wasn't even even among the moderate candidates. She wasn't the clearest with like an ideological vision of what like the Green Party means to Canada and the world and all of that. Mm -hmm. uh, and so Lascaris, even if even if uh, it was controversial to some people, would have been uh, you know clearer in his vision. Uh, one challenge though. And, and this predates this Israel-Palestine thing, is there was apparently a lot of tension between uh, Paul and her office and the National Council, like the, the, the elected leadership of the Green Party, that all of these things, I think, would have probably been even worse if Lascaris won. Mm. Because it was very clear that the party was not supportive of him. Yeah, that okay. they were working very hard. They almost removed him. They they temporarily disqualified him from running, and he had to appeal his decision and was allowed to run again, and all of this and all of that. Um, and so it was clear that the Green Party did not want him. Uh, and I think his victory would have likely led to uh, real infighting within the party establishment even more so in some ways than what we've seen with Paul. Now, that's not necessarily Lascaris' fault. Uh, you know, I think that would have been done to almost sabotage him, but it would have been a factor. It would have been something similar in some ways maybe to uh, Corbyn's experience with right-wing mm. labor uh, when he was able to win, where he had the support of the membership, but um, but not necessarily the party, the party, the party establishment. Man, after this episode, I need a shower. Like, it is difficult yeah. talking about these slimy politicians and, you know, this this careerism that is so found in this when there seems to be a divide. Like, we've had an opportunity to speak with members of parliament that seem to really get it and to be so committed to making change for their constituents. Like, they're incredible people that are driven and, like, brilliant. And it's so weird to think that they work in the same place with these same sorts of people that, at least on their face seem to be ambitious in a way that undermines their, the reason they have this position, you know, like I, I just, it's a weird thing to look at and not just have to sigh <laughs> to think that, you know, the, these people are all kind of working together and have the same stock. And oftentimes as we've, I think talked about today, get even more success because of that commitment to careerism and personal development. Like it's a fucked up system where those that work hardest in politics to improve their own image get further than those that work hardest to help the people they represent. And, you know, I don't know if there's going to be a change anytime soon, but we can celebrate those individuals that uh, do work exceptionally hard and are brilliant to uh, make lives better for a lot of Canadians that are often forgotten because as difficult as it is to, to hear this bed of snakes and, you know, the type of uh, scumbags that maybe are in our house of commons and otherwise it, it, I still feel a little hope that we do have some of these politicians that are, are willing to keep fighting for something because it's like at the end of the day why are you doing this like just become a consultant for like deloitte or something you know like <laughs> yeah. just you yeah. don't need this people will still shake your hand and think you're cool but like let, let's just get people in here who have to serve like i think we all know people like that who are yeah. 
they're a different breed. They are they are better than most of us because they feel a real obligation. And those people, I'm worried based on the the speech we heard today and the current trajectory, it's going to be harder and harder for those great individuals to stay in this current bed of snakes. Like maybe yeah. that is a little too pessimistic, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Any any final thoughts as we uh, say goodbye to folks today? Nope. I mean, look, I think that this, that, that, that Mumilak speech, uh, share it around with folks because it's incredibly important. Uh, and, and people need to hear it. It might not change things all the way right now, but hopefully one of those future people, whether it's in politics or anything else that does want to change the world is inspired by it. If you like today's show, consider joining the Harbinger Media Network which include shows like Alberta Advantage and the 49th Parahel. For access to these programs and more, go to the harbingermedianetwork.com. Oh, 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 oh